Hello, happy Sabbath at Agra. <laughs> All right, so today's message is um, one that is my testimony, and it's a message that the Lord has given to me over the past couple of months um, when in prayer with him and talking to him about all of the stresses of my life. Um, But before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I just ask that you just be here in this place, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Please help if there are any evil angels or anything that is trying to keep us from hearing your message and hearing your truth. Help them to leave this um, auditorium. Help them to leave this campus today, Lord. I just ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and that your words come out of my mouth. I just ask that also everyone here is blessed and that I'm humbled and that you are glorified. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So the title of our message for today is Cultivating Hearts and Minds. All right, so as you heard earlier, I am... um, I have my master's in horticulture, and before I got my master's in horticulture, I was a student at the University of Florida. And as a student at the University of Florida, I was studying plant science, and I got to learn a little bit about agronomic crops, cotton, soybean, wheat, all of these different things. And I found it was so interesting learning all their different growth stages and um, learning all of the different... um, object lessons that you can get from these crops. So today we're going to learn a little bit about barley, and we're going to learn it in relation to our growth in Christ. So just to give you a little bit of barley overview, so um, barley is used for um, many commodities. Well-known, it's used for bread. Less well-known for Adventists, it's used for beer. And it germinates quickly, it's resistant to drought, and it's also self-pollinates. All right, so there are four main stages to barley growth. So there is tillering, there's stem extension, there's heading, and there is ripening. So we're going to learn a little bit more about these stages as we progress. So tillering is the first stage in barley growth, and a tiller is a part of the plant that actually emerges from the soil It is independent of all the other branches, and when the tiller forms, then that's when the plant is starting to go from germination to maturity. So as we learn about tillering, I was directed to go to Ruth chapter 1 verse 8. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. So the story of Ruth, I'll wait for you guys to get there. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. All right, so it says here, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and and with me. Verse 15. It says, And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So if you're not very familiar with the story of Ruth, Ruth um, suffered a great loss. Actually, her and her sister 
and her mother-in-law suffered a great loss. They all lost their husbands. And it was a big deal for Ruth because this was her family, this was her livelihood, and now everything was shifted and she had to move from where she was and she decided that she was going to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, Naomi is talking to her and telling her, look, you can go back to your mother's house. You can go back to what you know. You don't have to continue with me on this journey. Now, for what um, Ruth decided to do, though, is she decided to move forward and do something different. Instead of going back to her mother's house or going back to the religion she once was in um, and what was familiar to her, she decided that she was going to move forward and she was going to follow God and she was going to follow his leading. In verse 16, Ruth responds by saying, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For where thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee from me. So tillering happened to me in my life. So before I started at the University of Florida, I was at a different college and I was studying biology. I was a biology student and also a Spanish major. So I was double majoring and I was stressed all the time, but I was having a good time. And as I was studying biology, um, I was on the track, I was pre-med, I was really focused on I'm going to take all of these science classes to go to medical school. During the time when I was um, in school, we had to learn about plants. We had a whole section of the biology one that was on plants. Now, while all the other students in the class hated it, I like fell in love with it. And for me, I'm a city girl. I'm originally from Tampa, Florida, and I had really virtually no um, farming background, but I fell in love with agriculture right there just by seeing how beautiful um, God's nature is. So I remember I was conflicted. I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay at the university I am at now where they don't have an agriculture um, um, major, or am I going to go to a different university? So I remember I decided that day that I was going to go to another university, and I decided that I was going to relocate back to Florida and apply to schools there because I knew there were some um, agricultural schools there. So before, though, starting school, I went on this little journey. And I love how God allows us to go on little journeys so that he can show us what it is he wants us to do. So I remember I went on this little journey with God where I ended up in Alaska. So I went to Alaska to visit family there. And if you're looking at me, you're probably like, black people live in rural Alaska? Yes, there were some. <laughs> and it was probably the, the whole lot of them were my family, the few that were there. So, um, but when I was there in Alaska, it was an amazing experience. If you don't know my family, some of my family is here. They're in the back. You've um, seen one of my cousins, Richard. <laughs> um, but my family, they are a lively bunch, and they are more lively about the Word of God than anything else. So I remember I went there to Alaska, and we're living in rural Alaska. There's really not much to do. Pretty much you wake up, go to work, come back. 
you know, you can watch something, read a book, you know, eat, that's about it. There's really not much to do. So I remember whenever I would come back from work and I would come to their place, we were like listening to sermons on Audioverse all the time. It was like we were watching the Super Bowl. You know, we were just diving into all of these messages and we'll be um, texting each other. Oh, did you watch that message? Did you hear this one? Oh, it was so good. And while I was listening to these messages, I was learning more and more about God's message of agriculture and how his message of the medical missionary work and all these things, how they all come together for the last days and what God wants to do for us. So when I made that decision there in Alaska to dig deeper into why I want to go into agriculture, it was an amazing experience because I was able to talk to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I commit my ways to you. Whatever it is that you want me to do, I want to do, and I want to go where you want me to go. And I can't explain to you the rush of peace that falls on you when you are deciding to follow whatever the Lord's will is for your life. And as a barley plant, it has to be an independent thing that you do. For the barley plant to even grow, it has to have an independent growth from the soil, independent from all the other stems for you to make it to the next stage in your life. And Ruth had to do that as well. So the next stage that we have is stem extension. So this happens between three to four weeks after plant emergence. Um, the stem's upper internodes begin to elongate. So pretty much it kind of makes way for the stem to um, elongate and for it to um, grow vertically. And with the stem extension, there are so many different things that happen at that stage um, within the plant, um, plant growth. So we go next to Ruth chapter 2, and we go to verse 2. And it says... And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto, and he, and she said unto her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth decided that she was going to go and try to find bread for her household. So her leaving where she originally was to go to Bethlehem, which Bethlehem means house of bread, she had to go out and she had to go into the field and she had to glean. So as I was reading the book of Ruth, I was like, Lord, what does it mean? Like, what does this gleaning mean? And I, before, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to just interpret it, I was like, let me look what it means in the dictionary. <laughs> so um, according to the dictionary, to glean means to extract um, from various sources, to collect gradually and bit by bit to gather leftover grain or other prod, um, produce after a harvest. So Ruth made it her point to spend a lot of time gleaning, not just for herself, but for her um, family. So now what does it mean in our spiritual lives to glean? It means to study his word. It says, and she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the she um, sheaves. So she came and have continued evening from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. So as we see in Ruth's method, she was gleaning day and night. She was studying the word of God. She was using it as her, her strength and as um, her guide for her. 
And we know that studying the word of God, he wants us to glean day and night. It says in Psalms 1 verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Isaiah 28.10 For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That sounds like gleaning to me, right? So God wants us to glean, not necessarily in the fields, but he wants to glean in his word. I love this quote from Spirit of Prophecy. It says, The only way we can be transformed in his image and reveal the fruit of his spirit is by taking time to behold him, the true seeker who is striving to be like Jesus in word, life, and character will contemplate his Redeemer and by beholding become changed into his image because he longs and prays for the same disposition and mind that was in Christ Jesus. This is where the true cultivation happens, the cultivation of our hearts and minds. It's through the Word of God. The Word of God, as we know, is a double-edged sword. It's able to split us in two and to bring us to Christ. It's able to take these stony hearts that we have and to make them hearts of flesh. Just like when you have to go out and you have to till soil to make it malleable to be used, God is doing that for us when we read his word. So one thing that I had to learn um, in my walk with Christ is that he is the keeper of the field. It says in Ruth 2, verses 8 through 9, Then Boaz um, said unto Ruth, Hear thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here, fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. What Christ, or at least what Boaz is saying right here, is it a, is it a command or is it a request? It's a request. And when I think of Boaz and I read this story, I instantly see Christ. Christ is the keeper of the field. He's the one who's taking care of our hearts. He's the one who's changing us. I don't know if any of you have ever been there where you're looking around and you're seeing that some people are progressed so far in their faith with Christ. And you're like, you know, maybe if I just change this or do that, or, you know, I start reading more of this, that, you know, I can be more like them and I can be more spiritual. But that's not how it works. How it works is we continue to abide in Christ and allow him to do the work. He's the one who's going to change our hearts. If we try to do it ourselves, it's really just going to be outward work. So when we see this and you read what Boaz is saying, it makes me see the vulnerability of Christ, how he is a lover. He truly loves us and he truly desires for us to commit our hearts and our minds to him. 
You know, he's not saying, thou shall come and abide right here by me. He's like, no, don't go to another field. Stay here, abide here. That language reminds me of John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, we see this beautiful illustration through the vine of how God wants to have an intimate, close-knit relationship with us. So here in John chapter 15, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. This message of abiding in Christ came to me later on in life. I actually um, gave my life to Christ when I was 12 years old. I remember it was such a special day. A pastor came up and he was preaching about how the Lord just loves us so much. And I remember just walking down the aisle and crying and wanting to give my life to Christ. But it wasn't until many years later that I understood that giving my life to Christ wasn't just going to be an outward thing. It had to be something where I had to realize that Christ is not just our Lord and our Savior, but he's also someone who really desires to be our friend. I was so blessed that um, when I heard this message, it was from one of my favorite speakers. I don't know if you've heard of him, but Pastor Lee Vinden. He has this series called All About Jesus, and he has a way of being able to share the message that Christ is desires of a close-knit relationship with us. He doesn't want to settle for less than that. He wants that more than anything else. And as I was listening to those messages, I remember I was convicted. And I was a young girl at that time, too. I think I was probably 14 when I learned those messages. It was funny because it was a um, series that was happening at a nearby church. And me and my cousin, we were like, oh, where are we going to go for church today? And we were like, let's just go to this church. And at that time, I wasn't a person who was as interested in spiritual things as I am now. So I remember when we went to the church, um, (laughs) we heard the message, and we're there sitting in the audience, and he's preaching this message, and we just begin to cry, and we're just like, oh, this is amazing. I didn't know God like this, and we've been in the church all these years. And I remember I would make so many excuses why I couldn't make it to church events. It was like, oh, I have homework, or oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. But once I heard that first message, I was hooked. And I was there every night, and I didn't want to leave because I knew that this was something for me. And years later, I pray that this is how the experience that I'll always have when it comes to learning about Jesus So we also see in John 6, verse 37, that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And we see that from the spirit of what Boaz is saying to Ruth, that he is beckoning all of us to come to him, and it not be just something that we do when we come down the aisle for an appeal, but it be something that we do each day, every day, in his word, coming to him. So one other thing that struck me when reading the story of Ruth was Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. It says she fell on her face. So uh, let's turn there to Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. 
It says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? When we fall on our face is when we are able to be used by God. The goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. I know as growing up as Adventists, many times I was taught a message that wasn't always like this. I was always, I was for a long time taught that what is going to give me, get me to repentance is to remember my sin and how God, the sacrifice that he made and not remembering it in a way, in a tender way, but remembering it in a way that would make me feel ashamed. And as you see right here with Ruth, it's not that she bowed her face or she fell on her face because of shame. She fell on her face because she saw how good God was or she saw how good Boaz was being to her and that she didn't deserve any of it. So as she talks to um, Boaz, she says that she is a stranger. Have you ever felt like a stranger before? There's been many times where you might be doing really well spiritually. You're not, you're like, you know, I can count how many sins I've committed on my hands this week, you know, and you're kind of upping yourself and patting yourself on the back. And then you commit some sin and you're just like, oh, who am I? Am I connected to God? Am I still in the faith? I mean, we go through those cycles. It might be just me, but I go through those cycles where you have to continuously remember that even though you are inconsistent, God is consistent. His love is consistent and his grace is consistent. And you see with Ruth that she had a problem with being able to identify herself as someone who was part of the faith, part of the fold because of her past. It says in um, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Despite her feeling that way about herself, God was still able to use that as an avenue for her to be able to humble herself before him. Many times we might feel like we are a stranger to God or we are estranged from him and we see his goodness and we fall down at our feet. While he doesn't want us to stay right there and feeling bad for ourselves, sometimes that can be used as an avenue and a tool for us to see that God is working in our lives and he wants to stay there and that he is always good. It says in 1 Peter 5 verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So it says here also, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. So growing up and actually through the past couple of years, I've been learning more and more about um, prophetic messages and learning about the 2300 days and learning all of this meat that I would call it. I would call it the meat of um, Adventism and the meat of the Bible. It's so beautiful. And one of the messages that I see that is so beautiful is the investigative judgment. 
It, it's so beautiful that God leaves that to him to complete. If it was up to us to complete the investigative judgment, we would indict everybody, right? <laughs> but he finds a way for him to be able to do it justly. And you see that so beautifully in the book of Ruth. Boaz turns to her and he says, it hath fully been shown to me. When I first read this, I instantly thought of the investigative judgment. I instantly thought of how God is the one who's going through the names. He's looking down and he's um, looking at us and he's making the judgment call. And I love that in his word, he says that he leaves it to his son, which is so beautiful. We know in beautiful verses such as Romans 8 verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. We see here that Boaz, when he starts to talk about this and he explains to her what he sees in her, he points out some of the works that she's committed. Now, she, he's not saying that she is righteous by her works, but he's pointing out some of the evidence that he sees of the heart conversion that she has. He points out that she is dedicated to her mother-in-law, or you can say she's dedicated to her church. You can see that she no longer identifies herself with the things of her past or the things of the world for us. You can see that she has now left her land of nativity and she is moving forward. We also see in a beautiful text that illustrates this is John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Boaz's view of Ruth was much different from her view of herself. And I can understand that it's hard for us as individuals to accept that at times, to accept that Christ's view of us is different from what we see. What, um, what Boaz was able to see was a heart transformation. In Ruth 2 verse 12, he says, The Lord recompense thy work. A full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Heading. So in recap, we have the two of the stages of barley growth that we have seen so far, which was tillering. Tillering is when you have an independent shoot that comes out of the soil that actually starts the barley growth. And then we see that there is stem extension where the um, stem is extending. And for us spiritually, we see that tillering is you having to make that independent decision to follow Christ. And sometimes that decision that you're making to follow Christ will lead you into some crazy places to go and things to do just so that you can stay and maintain in his will. We saw that in the second um, stage of barley growth, which was stem extension, that the way for you to extend and to grow is by gleaning his word daily day and night of gleaning his word, and also to remember who is the keeper of the field. You are not the keeper of the field. Christ is the keeper of the field. Our next stage that we see is heading. So for me, 
back in 20, 2017, it was my final year of um, undergraduate college, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I always had this plan that I was going to go to medical school, and I was studying agriculture because I was going to blend the two, do it in some kind of special, spectacular way. But at this point, while I took all my classes for uh, medical school, I still needed to take the MCAT, and I kept on delaying it for some weird reason. And so my final year of school came, and I didn't know where or what I was going to be doing next. So I remember I went into my professor's office, and I told her, like, I don't know what I'm doing next. Like, I graduate in about six months, and I don't know what the next plan is for me. And my professor, she's so sweet and so bubbly, and she's like, you should go to graduate school. And gra- I was like, graduate school? I don't know if I want to do graduate school in agriculture. That's going to get me more off my timeline. I'm supposed to be going to medical school. You know, I had all these timelines in what I was going to be doing next. So I remember she told me, no, I really think you should do graduate school. I just have a feeling you're going to do great in it, and especially like having you as a student, you've done superior work, and all of the professors whom I talk to who have had you as a student, they love your work that you do and the um, things that you bring to the table in class discussions. So I was like, well, you know... At this point, and I'm thinking to myself, at this point, if God, if you want me to do this, you're going to make it clear that you want me to go to graduate school because I just don't know if I should do it or not. So I remember as I was talking to her, I was just like, okay, well, what graduate program should I go to since you're thinking I should go to graduate school? And she's like, I don't know, but let's look online. So I'm sitting in her office and she's looking online and she's like, so what major would you want specifically? Do you want to go into like virology or horticulture or she's listing all of these agriculture related degrees. And I was like, I guess horticulture. So she's like, okay. So she goes and she's looking online and she finds this program at Kansas State University and it's a master's of horticulture with an emphasis on urban food systems. And I remember I was like, oh, that seems interesting. I was like, well, because I've always wanted to teach people who are living in urban environments how to grow food and use that as a ministry tool. And, you know, I'm telling her all of this and she's not SDA. She, I don't even know if she's Christian. She's like, yeah, that sounds cool. So <laughs> we're looking into the program and I'm like, okay, you're telling me to apply to this program. It's six months until graduation. If you're trying to go into graduate school, you should plan it like a year in, a, in advance. There's no way that I'm going to get into this program unless we're going to delay my start until the following year. So she was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So she's looking online and she's like, oh, so I see with the program that um, the deadline for it is due in three days. The three days the application is due. And I was like, yeah, there's no way that I'm going to take the GRE in three days for graduate school. She was like, well, based on this program, it says that no GRE required if your GPA is 3.5 and above. And I was like, okay. So I was like, okay, well, that's a check. And so then I was like, what are the other requirements for this program? And she's like, well, um, it also says that you need to have three reference letters and they need to be attached by time for submission of the application. 
And I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. Knowing professors, if any of you guys have been in college, you understand that getting a recommendation from a professor, you need to tell them like five months in advance. And then the day before is when they'll finally get it done. So I remember I was just like, there's no way that this is going to happen. So she was just like, no, no, I think this, I think this will be a perfect fit for you. Go ahead and do the application today. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do about the reference letters. And she was like, oh, I can talk to the professors for you and get them to write a reference for you. And I just stopped and I told her, I was like, no, you've done so much already, professor. I will try to get the reference letters um, if you agree to do one of the reference letters. She was like, yes, of course I'll write a reference letter. I'll do it right now. So I remember I sat down at my computer and I started on the application and I was doing the application. And I remember I needed... Um, to do a personal statement. And um, I was just like, oh, I'm just not in the mood to do it right now. Because you have to, if, if, for those who know about writing papers and stuff like that, it's, it's hard to do a paper like in the, the middle of the night. You need to have fresh eyes, fresh brain. So I was just like, I'll finish this part of the application and then I'll do the personal statement the next day. So that's what I did. Did the personal statement the next day. Um, now I only had one more day left. And I called her and I told her, I was like, I couldn't get the reference um, letters. I've called and I've emailed my professors and no response. I don't know what to do. And she was like, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. So when I tell you, within an hour, she had two reference letters already completed for me from two professors. And I was just like, well, God... I don't know, that's not convincing me enough that this is something you want me to do. You're going to have to make it clear. You know we do that to God. So pretty much, um, I remember I put in the application, and I was like, you know, I didn't even look at what the tuition is for this school. I was like, by God's grace, I've been able to do undergrad at UF with no loans. I don't want to start taking out loans now. So I remember I... Um, I looked up how much the tuition was, and I was just like, oh, God, this, you, this is not what you want for me. There's no way that I'm going to go to school at this school. And then I remember looking down, scrolling down on the page for the school, and it's, um, it pretty much outlined that there are scholarships and graduate research assistantships and graduate teaching assistantships available to help support your education. So... I was like, well, it would be great if I got one of those. I mean, I am a late applicant, but at this point, it doesn't hurt to call. So I remember I called the director of the, um, the Department of Horticulture, and I told him, like, hey, you know, I just submitted my application. They're like, oh, the deadline is, like, tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, I just submitted it. And I wanted to know if I could get a scholarship or something. And they're like, it doesn't actually work that way. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I just thought it didn't hurt to ask. And he was just like, no, it doesn't actually work that way. We only have a small percentage of scholarships and graduate research assistantships and teaching assistantships available for this department. Um, you know, we're not at, we're not a very big department, so we just don't have as much to offer. Um, so I can't promise you, especially since the um, campus that you'll be located at is a smaller campus, I can't promise you that we'll have any funding available for you. So I was like, okay, well, thank you so much for the information. So, 
you know, I left that phone call really thinking like, okay, well, this is not for me. It's not going to work out. This is not what you want for me. And I was like, God, if you want me to come to this school, you have to make it plain, perfectly clear. And I definitely don't want to have to take out any loans for it. So I remember it was two days later after submitting my application that I got a call from one of the professors of the university. And he says, I just read your application and I read your personal statement and we would love to have you as a student here at K-State. And I remember I'm listening on the phone and I'm just thinking, "Uh uh-huh, this this is not convincing me enough, God, if you want me to come or go or not. So he was just like, no, you know, I would love to interview you. And we also have another um, staff member who would like to interview you. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So he was like, the other staff member will interview you first. So I interviewed with one of the staff members, which she was a professor of horticulture. Her focus was on post-harvest physiology, so pretty much figuring out how to store and transport um, fresh produce, um, flowers, all these different things um, for them to stay fresh by the time you get it. There's a whole department for just that. So (laughs) she was talking to me in our interview, and she was just like, oh, you know, I can show you my lab and what we do in my lab and all of our equipment. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not interesting to me. I am so not interested in being in a lab. I want to be outside. So she was like, yeah, you know, I would love to be your advisor, and you would learn more about post-harvest physiology. And and I'm listening to her, and I'm just like, oh, this is nice. This is just more confirmation that this is not for me. And, you know, for her, she was just like, um, after the call, she sent me an email. She was just like, oh, thank you for having such a wonderful spirit and energy. You know, I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm thinking, were we on the same call together? <laughs> so... Then, um, the next day, I had the interview with the other professor, and he was a professor who was doing grafting of tomatoes, and he was doing grafting of other plants, and he was doing this cover cropping studies, and he had all this vegetable production, acres and acres of production in his land, and he was looking for um, graduate research assistants. And, And when he interviewed me, I was just like, wow. I really love this. I really would love to do this. This is all that's going through my mind. And so I remember, you know, he's talking to me and he was just like, yeah, you know, this is the program that we have. And I would love to have you as a student in our program. Um, Right now, we're still um, figuring out funding. So I can't promise you any funding at this moment. But, you know, we're we're working things out. And he was just like, um, would you, are you interested? And I told him, yeah, I am interested in the program, but I have a lot to pray about. So I remember I was praying about it and I just, I just didn't have any answer from the Lord. At least I felt like I didn't. So I remember I was getting on the bus, about to go to class and I'm on the city bus and I am that person on the city bus who's talking on the phone, annoying everybody else. So I'm on the phone and I'm talking to my stepmom and I'm telling her everything about Um, this graduate program. And, you know, I was just telling her, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to serve the Lord. I want to give glory to him. I don't know exactly what capacity that's going to look like, what he wants me to do. It might be this program or it might be something else. And I'm talking to her on the phone and across from me is this lady who is like crying. 
And I remember when I walked out of the bus, she quickly came after me and she grabbed me and I'm, these weren't the days of COVID, of course, but <laughs> I was just like startled. Um, and I'm like, hi. And she was like, I just wanted to give you this note. And she just was crying so much. And I opened the note and she, the note just said, Thy, um, the Lord's will be done. Just have peace in his will. And I remember like when she walked away, I went back to her and I was just like, thank you for this. This Seem like I've been praying and God is just, I believe he's, he's used you to give me a message. And she's just like, yes, you know, she gave me her name and she was just telling me about how she wasted so many years of her life and of her youth doing things that were outside of God's will. And how when she was hearing me talking about wanting to serve the Lord and to do his will, she was just so touched. And it just made her think of how beautiful it is that there's a generation of youth who are interested in doing whatever it takes to do God's will. So, of course, I started crying at that point, And I was just like, oh, God, I mean, I've never experienced something like this. And I was like, but this is not um, convinced enough that this is what you want me to do. You just haven't convinced me yet. So I remember I was just like, but thank you for that lady. I pray that you bless her. So that same day, I was eating lunch on the lawn. So at like public universities, they have just like sprawled out areas where you could just go and eat under a tree or so. And so I used to always find my little cozy tree that I would eat my lunch under. So I'm sitting down eating lunch and a lady from a far distance She was under a tree because I saw her when I first got there. I kind of looked around. She was under a tree and she started running towards me. I tried to pick up my stuff so quickly and I was trying to make a run for it. I was like, this ain't no Christian campus. This is a public campus. Anything can go down right now. I'm running. (laughs) So I remember I tried picking up my stuff and running away. And the lady, she just, she was gunning for it. She was good. She came right in front of me and she was like, the Lord had me praying for you. And I was like, what? And she was like, yes, I was under that tree and God told me to start praying because there was someone who was going to be coming to this campus who, is, who needs prayer because she's trying to make a difficult decision right now and God has already told her what to do and she's um, revolting against it. <laughs> I was like, what? So the lady, she starts praying. When I tell you, I have never heard someone pray in the spirit like she did. I did not know this lady from anyone. She just started praying, praying, praying over me, praying for my family, praying for every step that I make next, praying, praying, praying. And at the end of her prayers, I was just in tears. She was in tears. You know, people were looking around at us like, what is going on? And I remember I just had to stop and I just had to tell her, thank you so much you were an answer to prayer. And she's like, so what is this big decision that you have to make that you have just been revolting? And I was like, graduate school. And she was like, well, God already told you that's where you're supposed to go. And I was like, okay, well, thank you so much. And we just prayed and we were just like, you know, I'll see you in heaven. I hope we're next door neighbors. And we just had a good ending. So 
I remember I went back home just filled with peace, knowing that God, he already made it clear. So later on that day is when I got a call from the professor who interviewed me, and he told me, he was like, you know, I um, was able to review all the other applicants, and you are one of the best applicants, and we would love to give you a full-ride tuition for your master's program. And I was like, praise the Lord. And he was like, but that's not just it. We're also going to be paying you salary as a graduate research, assistant, um, graduate research assistant while you are there in the program. So God has a way to give us more than we can ever ask or we could ever think. And how I see this illustrated so beautifully is through the story of Ruth. We see in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, it says, And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and, she, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And we sh when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out all that she had gleaned, and it was about an epaph of barley. Now that is a lot of barley. One epaph of barley is equal to five dry gallons of barley. Imagine, I've been able to work a little bit with barley plants and sorghum and all of these different um, crops, and to beat out five dry gallons, that would take a couple of days to get that much, <laughs> quite a few days, but she was able to get that when she was out in the field working there. And we see that so often in our relationship with Christ that we might ask for just a little bit because we don't want to be hurt or we don't want to be disappointed. So we'll only ask God for a little bit when he's so willing to give us so much more. He allowed her to not only just glean the little um, food that's in between the rows, but she was able to gather even among the sheaves. And when she left, she had so much to give. We find that the last stage of barley um, growth is ripening. You go, and the ripening, it really um, is the changing of the kernel that's within the head of the um, stalk. So we had um, tillering, we had stem extension, we had heading, which heading is when the actual head of the barley grows. And then within that growth of the head, we'll have the um, kernel development. And as you can see here, it starts from a very milky, milky stage until it starts drying out, drying out, drying out to a hard kernel. Ruth displayed that she was ripening spiritually. In Ruth chapter 2, verse um, 18, it says, And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw that she had, what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved 
after she was sufficed. So we see that Ruth, she took the next step. In our relationship with God, there is no way for us to actually spiritually ripen unless we share what we have, share what we have been given. The Lord has given me so many opportunities over the years um, since um, even my master's program and before that to spread his word. I remember when I was back in college, I was doing so many classes. Like for me, I was in school all year round because there were so many classes within my department um, that I wanted to take. And I was like, if I got a scholarship that pays for my tuition, I'm going to take as many classes as I can. So I was taking full course loads every semester of school. And I remember that um, while I was taking these full course loads, I was a part of a ministry called Adventist Campus Ministries. It's now called um, Adventist Campus Fellowship, which is an organization that is on public universities where it connects Adventists together. We come together and we have worship service together. We have Wednesday night prayer meetings. We had workouts together. I saw these people every day while I was there. And I praise the Lord, they didn't get tired of me either. But it was a blessing being at a public university and being able to do that. I remember there was this one semester where I was taking biochemistry because, as you know, I was still on the um, pre-med track. I was taking biochemistry. My first exam, I got a C, and I was like, um, I can no longer be a part of Adventist Campus Fellowship. I need to focus on my studies. There is nothing that's going to deter me from my studies. So I remember I... Um, at the time, I was very involved, and I had all these leadership roles. I was helping in leading out with Wednesday night prayer meetings. I was helping with leading out with um, some of the activities we would do to actually spread the gospel to the students on campus. We would do a lot of tabling events where we would go out and we'll be singing hymns by tables, and you know, people would congregate and be a part of it. It was so, such a beautiful thing, but I said to myself, I can no longer do this and study. I have to focus on what's important, which I thought at that time was to study my classes. So I remember that was the absolute worst semester of my life, academic-wise, because I was so focused on these classes and not doing ministry that my I actually did so bad in my classes. And within the first that first half of the semester, I realized that God is very clear in his word when he tells us that we are to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. So I remember when I came to that realization when I was having worship, and I was like, Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me for putting any of these things above you. So I had to flip that around. I, they started seeing me again. I started becoming more active than ever. And during that time, that's when my grades became the best that they ever been. When I was spending more time doing the Lord's work than I was in my books. And that's just a testimony in itself to, see, to show that God's word is true. What he says is not a lie. Everything that he says in this word, all of his promises are promises for you. So as we see here with Ruth, she was gleaning, and she was gleaning not only for herself, but she was gleaning to give back. There's no way that in our spiritual walks that we can grow unless we are actually sharing the word or sharing the bread that we're receiving with others. 
We also hear and we know about the country living message. You know, we, I've met many people who have it flipped around. They think that they're going to go out into the remote places of the country and never do any ministry work with anyone else because they got to stay in hiding. That's not what God instructs us to do, and that's not what the spirit of prophecy shares. In the spirit of prophecy, we know that we are to, yes, live in the country. We are to raise our own food. We are to teach the message of nature and to teach the message of God's principles but we are also to work the cities. We are to make those commutes. We are to spend the gas money <laughs> to go and to spread the gospel in the city. And we see that with Ruth. She was commuting from that, her, her country place where she was getting all this bread and she was coming back to the city to share it with her mother-in-law. So it says, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, Malon have I purchased to be my wife and all the people that were in the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which, did, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrath, and be famous in Bethlehem. So we see here that Ruth was one of the first examples we have of someone coming into the fold as being a part of spiritual Israel. Ruth's background was not, uh, she was not originally an Israelite. She was a Moabitess. She was a stranger, but she came into the faith and she was weaved in. She was grafted in um, into the faith and into the body of Christ. We see that with Ruth, that um, her, she became a part of the lineage of Christ. From her was, um, was Jesus, did Jesus come from her lineage? So we see here, um, I have the picture of the woman from Revelation 12. And please offer me a little bit of spirit-filled creative license. But when I read Revelation 12 and I read about this woman, I also look at it as being a promise. It says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. We know that physically, from Ruth's lineage, Jesus was, was to come, and he did come. And we know that from God's word, that as we abide in Christ, as we spend time with him, his character is produced in us. We are that woman. We are that church. We know historically that Jesus did come from this church. And, but we know also in the future, and that even today, hearts are being made and um, minds are being formed to produce the image of Christ. Christ's image is going to be revealed in us, the church. Revelation 12 is not only about a historical thing that happened. It's about a thing that is happening every day in your heart and your mind when you spend time abiding in Christ. You of that, as that woman, yes, we're going through a battle. There's a dragon that is trying to take that spirit and that character of Christ that, you are, um, that God is producing in you. But as we know, nobody can take your character away. 
Satan will be defeated. Everything that Satan wields against us, if we are found in the spirit of Christ, if we are found in his word, there is no way that he can touch us. His word says, submit thyself therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. As we continue to submit to him, his will will be done in our lives. One of my favorite texts is Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has started a work in our lives. He has, he has helped us make that decision in the tillering phase of our lives. He has helped us as we continue to grow through the STEM extension, through reading his word, and by accepting him as the keeper of the field. He has been there for us when he, um, he's, um, there are heading stage where he put, it us, put us in places and put us in environments for us to grow, for us to share, for us to learn more. And then he also put us in that stage of ripening. You might still be just learning the basics of your Adventist beliefs. Even in the ripening stage for barley, it was, it's a very milky stage when it first starts out. You can still be learning just the basic truths that you believe and still be in that ripening stage with Christ. God is the one who is, he is the one who is performing the work in our lives and his promise is that he will complete it. I'm so blessed by everything that I have experienced here at Ad Agra. When I tell you this message has been a very difficult one for me to um, share simply because I'm like, Lord, I've never preached a message or shared a message in the, of this nature to a large audience or been live streamed in this way. I've shared a lot of research and stuff like that, and those are things that I feel very comfortable with. But we see that God has a way of making us uncomfortable sometimes for his glory. <laughs> and this week, actually, um, I was praying a lot and talking to God. And I remember many times during the week, God just kept on putting peace in my soul and in my heart, letting me know that he's there and that he's working, that he will be with me. And Throughout this piece, I, stepped, I kept getting a reoccurring message from him. He kept asking, are you going to do a, an appeal Friday night? And I kept telling him very kindly, no, I will not. <laughs> and every day I woke up and he kept asking, are you going to do an appeal Friday night? No, God, you call many to do things and I'm not one to do this. Today, I was talking to a young man here at Ad Agra, filled with the Holy Spirit, waiting to hear what God wants him to do next. And we were talking about graduate programs, and I was talking to him about my experience and my testimony. And, you know, he was so, he seemed so blessed by it. And him and his family, we just sat and we talked, well, we're standing, we stood and we talked about it. And he, um, he was just like, you know, I'd love to get your contact. We exchanged contact information. And, you know, we left the conversation good spirits. We were, I was not too far off from walking away from him until I saw him run towards me. 
And he was like, you know, there's just been something that I've been wanting to ask you. Like, I saw your name on the bulletin. I didn't know what, it, I didn't know what you were going to be preaching about. I didn't really know anything. But I saw your name on the bulletin, and I just wanted to ask you when I was talking to you earlier, are you going to have an appeal? I was like, are you serious? And he was like, yeah, I just didn't know how to ask, but, you know, I just wanted to know if you were going to have an appeal because I just feel like there's a lot of young people out here, here at Ad Agra, and they need this. And I remember he just said, can we pray? And he didn't know all of this that I was going through every day. And we stood and we prayed and I just, I was like, Lord, you are just so hilarious. <laughs> he is so hilarious. But I've never done an appeal before, and I don't have any fancy words or anything to say. But if there is anybody who's out here who is looking to go forward in their relationship with Christ, no matter at what stage you are, please just stand. Stand for Christ right now. He loves us so very much. He is a God who just keeps on giving, keeps on giving, just hoping that you'll see how good he is so that you could come to repentance. Yes, there are so many fearful messages out there about who God is and the love that he shows, but the love that he shows is truly one that is everlasting and it's not self-serving at all. He wants you not because he needs more people to worship him. He's got plenty in heaven. He's got plenty of beings in heaven worshiping him, and he could create many more. But he just wants you. He wants you in his life. He wants you to hang out in his field. He wants you to hang out around his maidens, the church. He wants you to be a part of this beautiful family, this beautiful lineage of Christ. And he wants Christ to be produced in you. Let's close out in prayer, and I'll say a special prayer for all who have stand today. Dear Lord, we just praise you and we thank you for um, filling us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are so grateful for all that you've done, how you are just such a good God, such a merciful and such a loving God. Lord, we don't deserve you. We don't but we are so grateful to have you in our lives. Lord, I ask that you be with each and every person here at Ad Agra, Lord. There are people here in this audience. There are people who are seeing everything that's happening and they're probably wondering, Lord, I just, I don't know if I fit in here. These people know so much about the word of God and the spirit of prophecy and I'm just trying to learn how to grow some tomatoes. Lord, there might be that person out there, but we know that you brought them here to Ad Agra in this crazy year of life for them to encounter you. So Lord, I just ask that nobody from here leave this place without spending a special time with you and without deciding to have you in their life permanently. Lord, I just ask that you help us as we glean in the fields of your word. Help us as you allow 
large purposeful amounts of grain to fall into fall in our laps lord help us not to harvest it for ourselves but to share it with others we love you so much god and we're so grateful for all that you've done for us in jesus name we do pray amen this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.